The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, guys, before we get into it, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We really want to get those numbers up. We thank everyone who subscribed last week. Um, So please help us out and hit that button. We really appreciate it. Even if you listen on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, please head over there and hit that for us. So let's get into it. As you you already know, I'm sure the West Virginia Mountaineers lose to Texas Tech 48 to 10. The defense was bad. The offense was bad. There aren't very many positives you can take away from this game because we normally try to at least highlight a couple things um, that are positive before we end this but um, there's there's really not too many we can focus on so let's just get right into the questions Um, why do Neil Brown coach teams have three or four games it seems like every season where they just show up flat and it, it seems like a lot of those performances are when the Mountaineers are on the road um, I mean, we know the Mountaineers have a, a brutal road schedule having to travel so far, but I don't think that's a good enough excuse for it to be a consistent problem in year four. Um, they played so uninspired. They looked unprepared compared to Texas Tech. We saw the same thing against Texas earlier this year. Um, and even going back to last year, we saw the same thing against Baylor and K-State when we played them on the road. So in year four of the Neil Brown era, why do you think this is happening so regularly. I'm not entirely sure. And it happens way too much, in my opinion. I mean, I, I started going down a rabbit hole today, um, just trying to put into context how bad this situation is. Um, you know, so I went through and I looked at every game for the past three years. I excluded Neil Brown's first year just because, you know, cut him some slack. And it's really interesting. What, what I found is that, you know, Obviously, at home, you're going to, you know, perform better. But, you know, it seems like it's a lot more, there's a lot more disparity than what you kind of expect. So in 25 games from 2020 to 2022, excluding non-FBS opponents, because that will skew the numbers, um, West Virginia is averaging 5.3 more points per half at home um, in the first half and 2.6 points per game more in the second half at home. They're also allowing 4.4 less points in the first half at home um, and 2.3 points less in the second half at home, which is interesting. That's, you know, a pretty big swing for home and away splits. So I dug in a little bit further. WVU has not allowed a scoreless first half against an FBS opponent. That's interesting. Everyone scored against WVU in the first half. Conversely, WVU has two scoreless first halves, one home and one away. WVU has also been outscored by 14 or more points in a quarter eight times. I I quantified this as calling it a no-show, and I went through and I looked at every game and saw how many points we were outscored by or we scored more than the other team by, and I categorized those as no-shows or domination. Um, The no-shows are where we got outscored by 14 or more points. Like I said, that happened eight times. And six of eight, six of those eight times were on the road. Conversely, WVU has outscored an opponent by 14 or more points in a quarter just five times. And four of those five times were at home. And really the only way I can think to explain this is, is that, you know, we've talked about it before is the what type of coach Neil Brown is. He's not a motivator. He's not a strategist. He's supposed to be kind of a program builder, but we don't know if he can really do that. But what I'm thinking is, is that WVU, Morgantown, Milan Pushkar Stadium is one of the most electric environments to play in front of. And I feel like that's the motivating factor for players is that they're playing for the fans because the fans are showing up and the fans are being loud and they're really rooting for them. Um, Because we've seen Neil Brown. He's even keel. He doesn't really kind of get you going. He hasn't had a Bill Stewart moment. Um, And that's really the only argument I can think of is that Neil Brown goes in, puts his game plan in. And the difference is, is that the WVU fans, with their energy and their love for the team, 
have really kind of pushed the momentum behind this team to, for them to play harder whenever they're in front of their own fans as opposed to on the road. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe that's it. I mean, honestly, I just can't explain it either. To, to me, it, it's just a sign of not having your players ready. And I know people online want to say it's not Neil Brown's fault that the wide receivers can't catch. It's not his fault that the cornerbacks can't cover, that the O-line false starts in very critical situations. Um, I mean, what is Brown responsible for then if those aren't on him? This is his football team. The receivers have had drop problems for four years now. The offensive line has had false start issues in critical situations for four years now. The, the team just shows up unprepared several times a year for four years now. So to me, I mean, this is just 100% the responsibility of the head coach. And, um, you know, Brandon, we just got to stop making excuses for this man. I, I, ju- I just don't know what else to say. He's a nice guy. I get it. I like Neil Brown. I root for him. Uh, if this doesn't work out, I hope he's successful wherever he goes. But he, he's just not a good head coach for West Virginia. Like I said, he might be a good head coach somewhere else down the line. But for here, right now, he's not a, a good head coach for us. That's just the cruel reality of the situation. And I don't understand why some fans just can't accept it. I mean, it, the facts are just the facts. He, he's We have been stagnant. Year one, we won five games. Year two, we won six. Year three, we've won six. And it's looking like this year, we would be very, very lucky to win six games. So that's not progress. We're kind of just flatlining. We, we are stagnant. I don't get why so many people will defend him to the end of time. Like he, he's not giving us anything to defend. Yeah. And, and I think what made Neil Brown successful at other schools is that, you know, he does play that kind of possession game. He wants to not play too fast. He doesn't want to, you know, let things get out of control too much. And that works against, you know, teams that don't have a huge talent disparity. Unfortunately for West Virginia, Every conference we're, we're in, we have been in, we're in now, or will ever be in, we're always going to have talent that's inferior or, you know, maybe close to the same as our opponents. So, you know, he has to develop that talent and he needs to, you know, have some sort of system that gets us the edge. And it, he hasn't shown the ability to really do either. And that's kind of what's putting him behind. You know, when you're at Troy, you're at, you know, other schools, you can you know, coach and just control the ball and let the other team kind of just, you know, beat their head against the because they don't have the talent to really make the difference. Um, and then whenever you go in against some of these other bigger programs like LSU and Nebraska and other teams that Troy had close games against, you know, you can control the ball and it makes you look better because it's, you're not getting blown out. You're controlling the ball. You're just moving the ball down the field methodically and you're keeping it close and giving you a shot to win, which is smart. That's what you need to do when you're an underdog, but it doesn't work when you're at a power five school. So, you know, he doesn't seem like he's able to adapt. He's a hell of a recruiter. He seems to be able to sell the hell out of the state, but you know, he's just not able to put the product on the field. And another point to that is that, you know, it doesn't really make sense with the changes he's made either in the staff is that, you know, he's brought in someone like Graham Harrell, but he's, but we're still maintaining Neil Brown's philosophy of ball control, you know, no, no huddle, you know, running the play clock, all those other things. And that's kind of taking some of the teeth out of what Graham Harrell can do as part of that air raid offense. So um, not only is he not capable of, you know, innovating in a way that gives WVU the edge, he's also kind of, it seems like hindering his own coaches from doing what they do best. Yeah. I'm 100% with you. You and me talked about it after the Texas game that, you know, it, it seems like he is hindering, what um, Graham Harrell wants to do. Because if you looked at what Graham did at North Texas or USC, um, he didn't always just let it go down to almost zero on the play clock every snap, where WVU has done that all season long. That doesn't seem like something Graham would want to do for the first half of the season. I mean, to me, that's Neil Brown telling him that's what I want. And, I mean, logically, you could say, well, our defense stinks, and so he's doing that to give them a rest. But are you really going to hinder your offense to help your defense that's going to give up points no matter what you do? Like, I don't understand why you're going to hurt your offense to help your defense, when clearly it's not helping anyways. So, I mean, 
your offense shouldn't even have the defense in its mind. You should just be out there trying to score every time you can. And yeah. I'm with you. Um, I was even talking to Giovanni, our buddy who we had on to preview the, the Virginia Tech game, and he he watched the game too and says, you know, why doesn't West Virginia run some type of hurry up? I don't understand why they let it tick down to the very end. So even w- people who aren't WVU fans are watching us from a distance saying, I don't understand what this guy's trying to do there. And 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 so it's obvious. I mean, even outsiders see it. And um you know, so many people online want to say we're criticizing WVU and that's going to hurt recruits. People see it. People are watching the same thing we're watching. Um, so, I mean, we're just calling it like it is. It's not like we are going to dictate what recruits want to do. Yeah. And even putting, you know, comparing it to other coaches. I mean, look at what Rich Rod and Dana did, you know, whenever they were in their earlier years when they didn't have, you know, the defense really established and the you know, for Rich, it was more the defense was established to bend, but don't break. It was more built to force turnovers. And whenever another team that he saw the defense couldn't stop anyone, both Dana and Rich would just put their foot on the gas. They're like, all right, you want to race? We'll race. And, you know, we saw that with the Baylor game. You know, you just have to have confidence in your guys. And I feel like Neil can't get past himself to allow him just to have confidence in his guys and say, you know what? We can't stop anyone. Let's just score and then yeah. hope for the best. Because sometimes it's all you have to do. Well, here's the other thing. Being a school like West Virginia, where you're kind of in the middle, like you're not a small school, but you're not one of these big powerhouses either. You need to find a niche or something that makes you unique and difficult. Like uh, like you just brought up, like Rich Rod had an offense that was pretty innovative at the time. And it was difficult for people to game plan for. Dana, yeah, people were doing the air raid when he came to West Virginia, but it wasn't as prevalent as maybe it is now. And so once again, it was difficult for people to game plan for. If you're a D coordinator, are you having a tough time coming up with a game plan to stop our offense? I mean, we're pretty, (laughs) we're pretty vanilla, right? I mean, all you got to do is put in some basic stuff and, you know, you can probably kind of figure it out. We're not making a lot of defensive coordinators scratch their heads. So, I mean, why aren't we coming up with something unique just like Texas Tech does. I mean, they're not a powerhouse, but they got that hurry-up, pass-heavy offense, and it gives people fits sometimes. I mean, that's how they knocked off Texas. So, I mean, why are we so vanilla? I just don't get it. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that blows my mind is with some of the athletes we've had, and you know, even guys like C.J. Donaldson who are kind of like combo players who can play all over the ball, or even Sam James, who's a tremendous athlete, we don't really use motion. You know, we have guys like Jeremiah Aaron too. We don't get them involved in a sort of run game. We don't create motion to, you know, see what the defense is doing. Maybe we'll move guys around here and there. We'll move a tight end over, but you know, we're not motioning guys across formation. We're not motioning guys out of the backfield. We're not, you know, doing what all these other teams are doing. I think it was um, the Baylor game, you know, some of the motions they were running pre-snap Kansas did it too. You know, you can see how much that, disrupts the defense and it you know not only disrupts the defense but it also gives your quarterback an idea of what coverage they're running I mean this isn't the NFL you don't have defensive coordinators who are disguising coverage all the time it's too complex for some of these college kids especially when you have guys who are between 18 and you know 22 years old out there most of the time Um, that's hard regardless of how many years of football experience you have so when you're motioning you know you, you want to motion to see if they're in man or zone and Teams aren't really going to disguise that unless you're at Bama, but we're not playing Bama and we're not playing them for another, what, five years or so. So um, there's benefits to doing it when you have really good athletes, when you have guys like CJ Donaldson, who's naturally a tight end, can play running back. You can motion him around. You can use him in a variety of ways. Um, you know, Justin Johnson seems like he has a good set of hands. You could motion him around as well. And then you could also do the same thing with, like what Dana did with the the touch passes and teams are doing that all the time, even in the NFL now. And you can get guys like Jeremiah Aaron and Sam James involved that way. I mean, there's so many different wrinkles that we can add, but for whatever reason, we're just not doing it. And I'm not saying that we need to reinvent our offense um, completely and, you know, just change into something that we're not, but uh, obviously going into the, the Texas tech game, the game plan was just so, like you said, vanilla, that I'm not exactly sure what their idea of success was there. I mean, 
how many times are you going to throw a screen pass? I like the screen passes. I know other people hate the tunnel screens. I think they're a great staple of an offense, but there has to be a counter to that. And there was no counter to that. So I'm not sure what they're trying to do. Well, here's the other thing. If you want to throw screens, fine, but you have to have an audible out of it. So I don't know if that was more on JT not calling out of those, but I mean, he was blindly throwing screens to where we had three wide receivers and they would have like four guys there, or we would have two wide receivers and they would have three guys there. And he would still just call hut turn and launch it no matter what. It's like, I mean, do the math. That play's going to be a failure no matter what you do. You don't have Tavon sitting out there who can make three guys miss. So I I just don't understand. If you want to throw a screen, fine. But you got to have – you got to use common sense and audible out of it if it looks like it's clearly going to fail. I just don't understand. It's not like we are some football geniuses. This is just, you know, when you're watching the game, you're pulling your hair out going, you know, this is just common sense. Why are we not adjusting? And it could be because we're letting the play clock go to zero. And by the time we figure out what they want to do, it's too late. That's why we need to get up on the line quicker and just, you know, figure out what we want to do immediately. And once you're good to go, call HUD. Quit trying to kill clock. Clock possession means nothing if you're not scoring. You can even, like, compare it to, uh, you know, people might some of the best quarterbacks in the game run the clock down to, to zero as well. You know, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. Drew Brees, guys like that, but they're spending that time evaluating the defense. If you're not giving JT Daniels or another quarterback enough time to figure out what he's going up against um, or giving him that control, then you're just kind of taking your the, the teeth out of the quarterback because that's his read. I mean, <clears throat> obviously in other systems we've seen where the coaching staff will make call, J, audibles on the sideline and call those in, but I don't feel like that's kind of our system here. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there just needs to be some sort of counter. And I know we run a lot of RPO, um, but, you know, those are pretty easily countered. I feel like whenever you're able to press on the outside, take away those uh, slants, those screens, and then you just win the, the line of scrimmage and you send backers up um, up the middle and take away the run. And it seemed like, you know, that's one of the strengths of Texas Tech was they have some a really good group of linebackers and they were able to shoot the gaps, take away the run, um, take away the – the preferred run looks as well, and then just force JT to pass into those screen passes, which weren't, you know, working. So to your point, yeah, you need to have a counter. You need to have some sort of audible out of that to say, okay, you know, this isn't going to work. What can we do? Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And just to kind of put a bow on, you know, that segment, um, I'll go back to what we talked about at first. If you aren't blaming WVU's failures, because we are failing this year, we have a losing record. If you're not blaming those failures on Neil Brown, then who are you blaming it on? I mean, let us know in the comments. I would love to know. Because if WVU is still struggling in year four and it's not on Coach Brown, whose fault is it? I mean, if you don't agree with us, I guarantee you can't come up with a good response. That That is on the head coach. It's not on the players in year four. Um, moving on to the next segment, is there any scenario for you at least? I'm just asking you where Neil Brown can redeem himself, or you know, is is he past the point of no return for you? I mean, for me, uh, he's past the point of no return. I mean, if they would bring him back next year, which seemed like a long time, he would still have to have like an eight or nine win season for me to even think that he's on the right track. Um, and we have some important players losing. Um, you know, it'd be great if he won out, but in order to win out, you know, and go eight and four, you would have to beat TCU, who's undefeated. You have to beat Iowa State on the road. And we just talked about how bad we are on the road. We do have to beat Oklahoma, who we haven't beat. That's a home game, but it seems winnable, but it's Oklahoma. Um, Kansas State at home, who's ranked 22nd. And then you'd also have to beat Oklahoma State, who's number nine on the road. So realistically, I mean, you know, if you want to look at who we can say could could or should be win is can we beat Iowa State and Oklahoma? You know, those are two games that probably should be winnable. Neither teams are ranked. Those are probably toss-ups. That only gets us to five wins. Um, So you have to win one of TCU, Kansas State, or Oklahoma State. Kansas State maybe seems the most likely since it's a home game, but – does beating Iowa State, Oklahoma, and Kansas State make and get to get to six wins? Does that make you feel 
better about the season. I don't think it does for me. Yeah, see, for me, if Neil Brown can coach West Virginia to six or seven wins this year, then I'm fine with him coming back um, just because we get to keep the recruits. And to me, that would show that at least we ended the season strong. I mean, like you said, WVU is three and four right now. That means WVU has to win three or four of the next five games. If he's able to do that, that's going to change, I think, a lot of people's mind. That's that's going to change that gloomy feeling that a lot of fans are feeling right now. So we can ride that momentum, hopefully, into the offseason, and people will probably feel more optimistic again. Now, does anybody feel like WVU can do that? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe. But it's not looking likely after that terrible tech performance. Um, like you said, maybe WVU beats Iowa State. But their their defense is pretty tough, and that's a road game. We just talked about how poorly we play on the road. And, um, you know, although their defense is tough and their offense is bad, we know just about anyone can score on our defense. So that's actually a bit of a scary matchup. Um, can they beat Oklahoma? Maybe, but if Dylan Gabriel is healthy, um, you know, that offense can put up a lot of points. So it's winnable, but it's not like that's a slam dunk win for WVU. Um, So, and like we said, even if they win those two games, they got to pull off a big upset just to get to six wins and go to a bowl game. Um, And it just seems really unlikely at this point. I hope they prove me wrong. We saw what a win can do for everyone after the Baylor win. A lot of people, you know, we're celebrating. And so if Neil Brown can finish the season strong, I guarantee most of the fans will be singing a different tune, especially if we go to a bowl game and especially, you know, if we win that bowl game. But even if we just lose a close game to a decent team, I think a lot of people would be happy with that. And this just proves like how low we have set the bar for Neil Brown and he still can't even get there. So, which is kind of sad. I mean, so many people are acting like we have these unrealistic expectations. I mean, if he would have came in and won seven games this year, I think a lot of people could have lived with that. Seven games is not a lot of wins. (laughs) No, no. And I, you know, I think in my scenario, six wins, beating Iowa State, Oklahoma, Kansas State, I wouldn't, you know, I would still fire Neil Brown. But if we could get the seven wins, which would mean we would either upset TC or Oklahoma State, I would. Or win a bowl game. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'd rather get an upset of one of those two. Because, um, I, you know, I think whoever we would play in the bowl game would just be kind of a team that's probably on a similar level as like an Oklahoma, maybe lesser. So, you know, if we could get to seven wins by getting one of those two upsets, I'd be okay with bringing Neil Brown back for another year. But with the condition that, you know, if you start off slow, you're getting the ax. And maybe that means Shane Lyons, you're firing Leslie and you're bringing in, you know, you're paying Tony Gibson a shit ton of money to come in from NC State and leave that job and say, hey, Tony, be ready because if Neil shits the bed at the beginning of this year, you're, you're taking over, you know, um, and that's with seven ones with six ones. I wouldn't even do that. I'd fire you at the end of the season. So, um, you know, I said at the beginning of the season, I, you know, the bottom of my expectations was seven wins and, you know, with the way the season has went, I mean, we've, we've lost so many potential winnable games. I mean, Kansas should have been a winnable game. Pitt was kind of thrown away due to coaching. I expected us to lose that game. Texas, we weren't even competitive in Texas tech. That was an extremely winnable game wasn't even competitive in. So um, the being in the season, it was great to be in competitive games, even though we were losing, but it, it seems like then we were disappointed, but we didn't really realize how good we had it until these past three weeks where, you know, we won one of three or one of, yeah, one of three and got blown out in two of those games. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't want to ever, you know, poo-poo a win, but Baylor we almost lost that game. I mean, if we wouldn't have knocked out their starting quarterback, we probably don't win that game. So um, I know a lot of people love that win, but we could have easily lost these last three games. So um, it all depends on how you look at it, but you brought up defense. Let's kind of start diving into that. You brought up this stat and I loved it. WVU blitzed 11 times out of 51 Texas tech dropbacks. 
Um, we we talked about it before the game. Texas Tech's offensive line, you know, it, it seemed like a point of weakness for him. So, in your opinion, why didn't West Virginia try to apply more pressure? I feel like they just because we don't trust the secondary, and for whatever reason, um, whether it's Jordan Leslie or the secondary's coach just wants to have more bodies back there, but I don't think that necessarily works. Um, you know, we haven't seen what this team can do if we just go all out blitz and just throw as much pressure at the quarterback as we can. Um, I understand that Texas Tech throws a lot of quick short passes, and that really kind of relies on your cornerbacks to make tackles, which we really can't do. But even with that, you know, they weren't all, not all the passes were screens, not all the passes were quick. You got to pressure the quarterback and we have a great defensive line sure but whenever you're throwing five or six guys trying to neutralize those four guys we're putting up front um you know it's pretty easy because that's a numbers game but you need to throw some more pressures out there and when your linebackers can't cover it cover your safeties aren't tremendously great at covering what's the harm in just throwing those guys in the backfield and see havoc you can create um that that's the question that I still want answered. And I don't know why they're not even trying it because we've tried this over and over and over again, where we want to play, you know, quarters coverage. We want to keep everything in front of us and it doesn't matter what we do. We're still getting gashed because our guys just aren't good enough. Yeah. And I mean, they only punted the ball twice. So, I mean, you can coach Leslie can say the excuse, well, I'm scared to leave my guys on an Island back there. You're not stopping them anyways. So I mean, you might as well give it a shot. I mean, tech started six for six on fourth down that game, which you might say, why is the team going forward on fourth down that many times? Well, if you're not stopping them, why would they stop? I mean, if you stop them one time in those first six tries, maybe they think twice about going for it on the next one. But if you just keep allowing first downs of course they're gonna go for it who wouldn't um so just very frustrating and then when we finally did stop them on fourth down how did we stop them we brought a heavy blitz (laughs) we rattled Mm -hmm. the freshman and he had nowhere to go with it a lot of those plays just seemed like pitch and catch i mean he would just call hut and immediately the ball would be out of his hands we'd be playing a weak soft zone when I mean, it was fourth and short. A lot of these. Why are you? Why are you playing soft? Why are you not up in that guy's face? I I just don't get it. Like I said, it's not like we're some football experts. This just <laughs> seems like common sense when you're watching it on TV. I don't get it. Yeah, and the one comment that kind of threw me too was that um, Neil Brown, I think it was, was talking about in his post game how Texas Tech is you know bigger, stronger, more physical than us, but that. That how how is that the case? Whenever you've been at WVU for four years, you know you've controlled right. the strength conditioning program. WVU has always kind of been known for really kind of developing their guys, you know, physically. I mean, we've seen some really big transformations. So why are they more physical? Why are defensive backs not more physical? I understand you have young guys out there. I understand you have some transfers in there, but most of them have had all summer. You can do put on a lot of weight. You can put on a lot of muscle in the summer. Uh, maybe not as much as you need to, but enough to go up against a team like Texas Tech who just brought in a whole new regime. I mean, that that regime didn't come in and, you know, just give everyone anabolic steroids while WVU was left high and dry and their dealer left them and didn't deliver the steroids. I mean, um, you know, th- th- it's, again, a, a coaching flaw. It's not running your program correctly. You can't be getting bullied because your guys just don't have it. Um, so that just kind of blows my mind that that's an excuse because that's something you can control. Yeah. And that you're right. That does go to coaching. What is Neil Brown telling his strength and conditioning coach to focus on in these off seasons? Because I mean, he just is following whatever the coach is telling him to do. Are you working on strength, stamina? Who knows? I mean, we don't run a hurry up. We do have long drives because we don't, we can't hit a deep ball, but I mean, so, I mean, you shouldn't be working on, stamina because uh, they got plenty of time to catch their breath in between plays. I I don't know. I don't get it. Um, Just looking at the defense even more, you know, normally we sit here and talk about what was good, what was bad. There's really nothing good to break down on the defense. They were bad from start to finish. They couldn't slow down the run. They couldn't stop the pass. 
And uh, when they had chances to make a stop, they missed their opportunities. They would drop picks. They would miss tackles, et cetera. I mean, it, it was terrible. We almost allowed 600 total offensive yards, 355 passing yards, 239 rushing yards against a team that doesn't even run the ball very good. Um, I mean, I mean, if you look at third down conversions, Texas Tech was nine for 20, which you might think, well, that's not too bad. But then you look, they were six for seven on fourth. So in reality, I mean, that's that's more like 15 out of 20 times they converted. So I don't know. Force zero turnovers, like I said, and that's their own fault. Several drop picks. Times there was the ball was on the ground. They didn't get it. Um, I don't know. Can you find anything positive to say? I hate to be so negative, but there's just nothing good that the defense did. Not really. I mean, you know, not 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 to, and also to not necessarily pile on, but I, you know, going back in the blitzing and being more aggressive, I think that also kind of sets a different mindset. It sets more of a ball hawking mindset when you're playing passive and you're sitting back all the time. You know, what type of message does that send to your guys? What's you know, kind of what's the primary thought in their head? Hey, just don't let anyone get by you. So you're thinking about the guy getting by you rather than where the ball is. And there were some bounces that didn't go our way. I know Texas Tech, I think, on that one drive, um, fumbled the ball twice, maybe three times. It depends on, um, you know, there's a couple of plays where the refs blew the ball dead as a pass. But, um, you know, we could have gotten some of those, the drop picks um, we've talked about. Um, again, you know, it's just an aggressive mindset. And the play calling, the lack of aggression just kind of feeds into that. Um, in terms of positive play, you know, I, I think Aubie Burks had a good game. Um, he was one guy who I felt felt, you know, statistically, um, I think he had like 10 tackles. Um, he was pretty solid in coverage. Um, he just played well overall. And he's a guy who, you know, I thought going into the year would have been one of the best players in the secondary. Turns out he's probably the only good player in the secondary. Um, but yeah. And then another guy who I, I saw did pretty well was uh, Hershey McLaurin, who I still don't understand why he's not starting at one of those um, spear or bandit spots. Because, you know, he's been playing well all year and he's just been kind of sitting there in a reserve role um, and coming in out of Juco. He was a guy who I really thought, you know, from an intelligence standpoint, could really contribute because he was a guy who played high in, in high school, played quarterback, went to Juco, um, transferred to defensive back. And I think last year um, in his Juco year, he led the nation in picks just because, you know he understands what the quarterback's seeing. And now he's playing mop-up duty, you know, kind of filling in for guys as they get tired um, when we need smart guys, at least in that secondary. So again, back to coaching, play calling, deciding who plays and who doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I'm with you with Aubrey Burks. I really like how he has played the past couple games. I mean, I like obviously he played great against Baylor as well. So he is one guy that's trending up. Although he did have that drop, I believe it was the very first drive of the game, which was so frustrating. But, you know, overall, if you're looking at everyone in the secondary, I do like the way he's been playing lately. And another thing that we were really hoping would be a positive this game, Charles Woods saw his first action since the pick game. Um, Obviously, we knew he would be on limited snaps, but everyone was so excited about that. And unfortunately, he got hurt again. So, you know, even a speck of light you're trying to find from this game, it just it doesn't really exist. This game was just a nightmare all around. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just hard to find, you know, a, a speck of hope either because, you know, you have Jacoby Spells and, you know, he, he's, he's taking his lumps. But, again, we've talked about it before. I'd rather have him taking his lumps out there than seeing some of the other guys out there over and over again. One guy I really can't understand, and this is no kind of hate towards him, but Malachi Ruffin has been really getting a lot of snaps out there the past couple weeks. And it just seems like, you know, it's not really his thing. He was a guy who came in on as a walk-on, um, not really kind of the, you know, a top-tier athlete, and he's really struggling out there. And, you know, it just kind of goes back to, 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 to thinking about what these coaches are seeing in practice and why – you know, one, what we're just not seeing a whole bunch of more guys out there being moved around or getting chances. And two, you know, why are the coaches just kind of letting guys get beat time after time after time and not like 
you know, pull them aside and say, okay, this is hard for you. I know this isn't helping you. So let me take you out before I just completely crush any sort of confidence that you have in yourself. And let's just get someone else in there while I can sit down and talk to you. Um, You can't just have guys going out there getting destroyed every single time they're out there and being targeted um, and hope that it's going to make them into, you know, a, a better player. I mean, these aren't birds, you know, the coaches aren't mama bird and pushing the bird out of the nest and saying sink or swim, you know, um, it just, it's not going to work like that, especially with young kids. Yeah. I I mean, Ruffin, I feel like a big reason why we keep seeing him these past few weeks is just because of injuries for the most part. I mean, that's definitely why we saw him a lot in Baylor. That obviously wasn't the game plan, but, um, I'm with you. I, I, I mean, if, if we're going to give up points, if people are going to play bad, get those young guys some reps so that hopefully they're, they're, they're ready to go next year. I mean, we've talked about this before um so i don't know i i I don't know what the thinking is from the coaching staff there um but you you knew that the defense was going to give up points we knew that coming into this game what we didn't expect was the offense to be held to just 10 points and that was the first time this season we've seen them ineffective for an entire game it wasn't like they had a rough patch and then pulled it together like the texas game no, for four quarters, they were completely ineffective, completely bad. Uh, so, I mean, what's in your opinion, what was wrong with the offense? Because that I think that shocked everybody. I just felt like we were too timid in, in attacking the teeth of the defense. I felt like we wanted to keep things outside. I felt like we wanted to rely on our you know, defensive backs to make plays. And like we talked about in our preview, these Texas Tech cornerbacks – and even safeties to an extent, they like attacking the ball. You know, they're they're home run hitters. They want to go out there and they want to play the ball. Um, they want to create deflections, get picks, things like that. But you can't be afraid of that. You need to take advantage of that. Um, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure why we were afraid of that. I don't know why we held back so much and just tried to keep things to the outside, try to keep things you know, try to let our guys win one-on-ones. Um, I just don't get it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, just looking at the stats, JT Daniels threw three interceptions. That's a career high. He's never done that in college. Um, I didn't obviously dig deep enough to see if he ever did that in high school. I mean, I, I'm not sure if he's ever done that. The wide receivers couldn't get any separation. We've kind of talked about that issue all year long. Bryce Ford Wheaton had the best stat line for wide receivers and he only had 53 yards. So just a really rough day for the wide receivers. Tony Mathis and Justin Johnson looked okay in the first half, but then they both got hurt and they didn't return for the second, which was a nightmare for us because CJ Donaldson was forced to take all the reps in the second half. And uh, he's just coming back from that concussion injury, which I'm sure he wasn't, you know, he was even limited in practice. So he was very rusty. He looked gas, obviously, and that's not his fault. Um, but WVU chose to only bring three running backs on this road trip. They didn't bring Jalen Anderson. They didn't bring any of the other guys. And so obviously, you know, you, you never think two running backs are going to go down. But um, if you look at it, they brought four quarterbacks with them. So you're going to dress four quarterbacks and only dress two or sorry, three running backs on a road trip when you already know, you know, CJ Donaldson's not going to be taking a ton of snaps because he's just coming back. I don't know. Just they brought five quarterbacks. They brought five. They, yeah. Oh yeah. Because the last guy's got to call signals, huh? Yep. Ca- Cavallaro. They brought uh, him. Oh geez. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously you can't predict this stuff, so you try to give the coaching staff a pass, but at this point, I just can't. I mean, Mathis has been banged up lately. C.J. Donaldson's obviously been banged up, and you travel with three running backs. And, of course, the worst happens. Two get hurt, and you got to rely on one. So, I don't know. The offensive line, I think you told me they graded okay in PFF, but... Just going by the eye test, I thought they got pushed around a lot too. I didn't even think the line was all that great. And granted, Gamitter was hurt. Milan got hurt. Um, I don't know. When it rains, it pours. Plus, they had four turnovers. 
the three picks from Daniels. And like we said, you know, Donaldson was kind of tired and he ended up losing a fumble. Um, it was rough. I mean, they even started the game horrendous. Two out of their first three drives were three and outs. So uh, from the get-go, they, they just couldn't do anything. No, it was not. I mean, I really don't know what else to say about it. It was just, it seemed like a game where they were playing afraid. And, you know, I, I don't know what else to say about it. And the one thing that kind of shocks me a little bit too is that Zooming out and kind of looking at this whole season, the one thing that like a lot of people said about JT Daniels was he was really good at throwing, you know, deep balls down the middle. And I can't really think of outside of maybe a handful of passes to Sam James across the season. How many times? I understand we have two really good, big physical receivers on the outside, but you can still attack the middle. And I feel like in a game, like this against tech, if you're afraid of, you know, their aggressiveness, if you're afraid of how much time you're going to have in the pocket, because they do have some good pass rushers, um, you can still scheme some ways to get the ball in the middle. Um, and I'm just not sure why that's not happening because again, you know, we talked about it, I think last week with JT Daniels and how he's not able to really roll out. Um, to me, you know, I wasn't super concerned with that because the coach should just be understand his quarterback's weakness and not be doing that. You know, put something in place that the quarterback succeeds in. <clears throat> the best coaches in the in the country, I mean, build around their quarterback and even Rich Rod, you know, and Bill Stewart and Dana Holgerson, they tweaked their offenses around what their quarterbacks were capable of. I mean, Jarrett Brown didn't run the same offense as Pat White. Um you know, Skylar Howard does, didn't run the same offense as Will Greer, so on and so forth. It's you, you play to your guys' strength, and I felt like we came in there and put together a game plan that we thought could take advantage of Tech's aggressiveness when really it just fed into it. Yeah, and speaking of playing to their strengths, we're still running read options with the quarterback, and we don't have starting quarterbacks who can run. Uh, we've done it for four years now. Um yeah, speak, just going back to JT, I don't know what's what's been up lately. I don't know, like what you said, is the coaching staff putting him in bad situations? Is he putting too much pressure on himself? Because it's no secret, he's got to score a lot for WVU to even have a chance. But he's just made some really bad decisions lately. Um, even last week against Baylor, when he threw that late pick, of course, every you know everyone makes a mistake, but everyone talks about how you know, what a boneheaded play that was. And then you look at this Texas Tech game, they, they just left points on the board. Right before halftime, Daniels throws a pick to end the first half when three points were guaranteed at, at least. You have a kicker who hasn't missed a field goal all year, and you were definitely in field goal range. Um, and, and what's he do? He, th- he throws a bomb to Reese Smith in the end zone. Like, What? You have Bryce Ford Wheaton, you have Prather, who, you know, have pretty decent size. They're strong wide receivers. And you throw a bomb to the guy who's probably, what, five foot ten on a, on a good day? And, and and the play goes bad, and I'm supposed to be shocked? Like, I don't, I don't understand. We, we, we just make decisions that are just so head-scratching sometimes. Yeah. I think he's pressing. I mean, I think that's most of it. He might be a little banged up and Maybe he doesn't want to say anything to trainers about it too, be just because of his injury history. Um, he really wants to get through the season, kind of dispel any sort of injury prone labels that he may have. Um, that may be one of his goals for the year is to play every game. Um, so I, I think maybe a combination of the two is just leading to some, you know, more kind of gunslinger esque mistakes where you're really just forcing things that lead to mistakes. And you know, I, I know I've seen people out there saying it's time to bench JT Daniels and see what else we have. I, I don't think so, because I still think JT Daniels is an elite quarterback. I still think, you know, nothing's changed with him in terms of what he's capable of than what we've seen the first two or three weeks of the season where he was just impeccable. Um, he makes the offense better. I, I don't think Garrett Green makes the offense better. I'm at Nico's too young and Will Crowder for all as good as he looked in the spring game. Again, I think it's too early for him. Um, you know, I, I think the goal now has to be 
and, and if we're getting rid of Neil Brown, I'm not sure who this person needs to be, whether it's Shane Lyons or Gordon Gee or whoever, but just talking to JT and making him understand that, hey, you know, things are going to be better next year. You know, let's plan for that. Um, and we'll get you to the NFL after that. And we'll make sure that your job is easier as opposed to the way it is right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is. He could be banged up definitely because we're not seeing the same guy that we saw those first couple of weeks. Um, and he's definitely very scared to run the ball. So who knows? I mean, he was icing his arm after the Texas tech game when they pulled him, but I didn't read too much into that. I just chalked that up as, you know, he throws a lot of passes and just like a pitcher, you know, you like to put some ice on it sometimes. So uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I'm with you. I am not in the camp of benching JT Daniels. I still think he's the best quarterback on the roster. Um, There's no point in sticking Nico in there now and burning his red shirt. Um, And what, you're going to bench him and throw in Green or Crowder right now? I'm not for that because although Daniels did have a really bad game, it's one game. It's, It's not like he's had a string of these terrible games. He had a good game against Baylor. So um, I'm with you. Stick it out. Let them play. Now, if we have like a couple more performances like that and you want to try someone out the last game or two at the end of the year, yeah, I might be more open to that. But uh, we got, what, five games left? You no, know, you should not be benching JT Daniels at this point. Yeah, and let's not act like some of the picks that he threw in the Texas Tech game were like right to the defense either. I feel like he gave his guys a shot and – at least two of those picks were just absolutely tremendous catches by the cornerback. I mean, um, that one in the end zone. I mean, if a receiver makes that catch, that's a sports center top 10 catch. It was a cornerback running the route like a receiver. So, um, you know, maybe it wasn't a great decision, but nine times out of 10, that, that worst case scenario, that ball's falling to the ground. Um, the guys just made some incredible plays and I don't really put that on JT. He's just taking a shot. Yeah, the one in Bryce Ford Wheaton, I mean, it was right in his chest, wasn't it? And then the defender yeah. just ripped it out and won a 50-50 ball pretty much. So, yeah, it wasn't like, you know, it was some terrible decision, kind of like the Baylor interception. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm, um, I'm with you there. Um, and WVU's got way bigger problems than their quarterback play. So it's not like, oh, take JT out and everything's gravy. We're good now. <laughs> That's not the sure. case. Whatever you use. Yeah, (laughs) let's lie to ourselves. (laughs) So, um, you know, kind of just to wrap up our overall thoughts, when you match WVU's talent up against Texas Tech's, I just don't see a 38-point difference there, you know, talent-wise. Their guys, yeah, Texas Tech does have talented guys. They always do. They always got playmakers, guys who can score. They play fast pace. They play high-volume offense. But I refuse to believe that they have 38 points more talent than we do. So the bottom line is their team was ready to play. West Virginia's wasn't. You know, that the offense that has to score, um, you know, over our offense has scored over 30 points in five games. And then they were held to 10. You know, that's that's just embarrassing. It's just so uncharacteristic from West Virginia. And a 38-point loss is... You know, that's something a Power 5 team, a Power 5 school, just doesn't do very often. You don't lose by 38. That's something like a Power 5 school does to an FCS school. That should never happen. Um, And fans can argue that this is an anomaly, that it doesn't happen. But in three and a half years under Neil Brown, um, West Virginia has lost by three scores nine times. So this happens multiple times a year. It's not an anomaly. it just happens way too frequently. And I heard this earlier today, which I couldn't believe the tech game was the worst loss to an unranked team since 1965 in West Virginia's history. So, I mean, this is like historically bad. Yeah. Yeah. I I really don't have much to add to what you said. I think you buttoned it up perfectly. I think what I want to end with is just to kind of reiterate um, what the responsibilities of a head coach are, you know, bringing in players, player development, game planning, you know, having the right guys on your staff, um, making sure your guys are in the right mindset going into the game, make sure they're ready, motivated, 
bring their clothes like they're supposed to. Just the whole management aspect of the team falls on the head coach. And that means that if you're critical of what the players are doing, then you're critical of Neil Brown. If you're critical of what the assistant coaches are doing, you're critical of Neil Brown. If you're critical of the lack of discipline, you're critical of Neil Brown. It it all leads up to him and there's no one else you can blame. This isn't a one game sample size. This is four years. So to anyone who wants to put the blame on the players or the assistant coaches, you need to redirect your blame to the person where the buck is supposed to stop. And that's Neil Brown. Yeah. I mean, all of that reflects to him. He's the leader. You're 100% right. Um, and, and you know what? I think Saturday is going to tell us a lot because I feel like up before the Texas Tech game, I mean, we were even saying it after the Baylor win that it seemed like a team who still believed in their head coach, a team, a head coach who has not lost his locker room. But then you see that Texas Tech game and you're thinking, I don't know, did he lose the locker room? I think this TCU game will tell us a lot. Even if they can't pull off the upset, if it's another huge blowout loss and the team looks lifeless again, I think that'll be very revealing as to whether Neil Brown is starting to lose this locker room or not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could definitely see the game getting ugly. Um, just the way that they, they showed up um, in Texas tech. And I, you know, I'm also curious it being a noon game um, on the weekend of Halloween is how many fans are going to end up showing up. I know the Baylor game seemed a little thin. I think what, where we end up like 40, 45,000 people. 40, I wonder if we're going to end up with less. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I don't even really have a prediction because obviously that Thursday night Baylor game, you know, sometimes it's, if the team is stinking, you might not, you know, be willing to call off work to make it to a Thursday night game. Whereas Saturday, you would think the numbers should be up more. But like you said, it is Halloween weekend. Maybe people aren't willing to travel as much. And, uh, you know, the team's not trending in the right direction. So we shall see. Hey, guys, tomorrow night we're going to have our buddy Grant on who covers TCU. We had him on last year, and he's very, very knowledgeable and is probably going to give us great insight into that matchup. So be sure to check that out. We appreciate you listening to this game. Like we said at the top of the podcast, please subscribe to our channel. And as always, thank you guys. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone.